0: The following podcast is a Jill Divine Media production. You can still be pretty badass about winning, right? You can be hardcore all the time and yet celebrate failure. You can still push to be number one and yet look at not only the score or the outcome as the the definer of was that a successful exhibition for you and or your team. They don't have to be mutually exclusive.
1: This episode of Two Kids and a Career is brought to you by Elemental Aesthetics. You can be guaranteed that your experience is going to be unique and customized to your specific needs. See how they can help you focus on natural beauty enhancements by visiting ElementalAesthetics.com. Hi there and welcome to two kids in a career. I'm Jill Devine. As an entrepreneur, wife and mama, the daily grind of trying to build a business while taking care of kids and trying to maintain a healthy connection with my hubby, it's a lot. With this podcast, you're going to hear candid conversations with other moms, parenting experts who can share their knowledge and insight, or you'll just hear me rambling to get it all out. There's going to be tears, there's going to be laughter, but most importantly, there will be support. Take a listen and connect with me so we can. And grow and learn from one another. This is Two Kids and a Career. Welcome to episode 107. And this week's guest, we are no strangers to one another. She might be a stranger to you, but actually, Jen, you're not even a stranger to this podcast because let me back it up. So, in episode 66, your sister Cynthia received a supermom shout out, which people can nominate the supermom in their life by going to jildivine.com. And you nominated your sister, it was incredible. You can read the nomination and hear it actually with episode 66. And then Cynthia was my guest on episode 81, how being a better version of yourself will help others. And you and your sister are super close. And of course, she talked about you in that episode. But now it's your turn. Officially welcoming you to the podcast, Jen C. Scanzer. How are you? Thank
0: you. It's great to be here. I kind of kicked myself after I nominated her because I was like, dang it, she beat me to the podcast. She we're we're a tiny bit, we love each other, but you know, rest assured, we are a tiny bit competitive. So
1: <laughs> yes, you two are, and I love it. I'm so excited to talk to you because of this new venture that is much needed. And it's like so topical, too, with things that happened not that long ago with Simone Biles, things that happened like even when I would play sports. And and I'll talk about golf, but we'll we'll get there first, though. You didn't just hop into this. But I feel like you've been preparing yourself, and it's just one of those God things, you know? You, like, just all of a sudden go, oh, this is what I'm meant to do. So let's back it up, Jen, as far as career goes, (laughs) and and, and actually – And then that's another thing that we have in common is radio and where we went to school, but you also have to tie in your soccer love. So you've, you've got the floor, you can wrangle it all together. Oh gosh, (laughs) Right.
0: So yeah. So uh, maybe like a lot of people right now anymore, when we, when, when we grew up and you're just like my sister, a little bit younger than me. So when we kind of grew up, you know, by the time you're in second, third grade, you're already getting the questions of, you know, what do you want to, who do you want to be someday? Or what do you want to do? And I was always Super jealous of the students who, and they may not be what they said they were gonna be, but you know, with assurity, shot their hands up in the air and they, you know, I want to be a firefighter, or I want to be a nurse, or I want to be a teacher. And I was like, I don't know. (laughs) Like, so I would put my hand up and I would I would think of like what's something cooler than anybody else said, and I'd be like, I'm gonna be president, right? Like I would just, you know, pick something. I was already a born achiever, so it was like, let's pick something cool. So I spent most of my youth, really honestly, being a lot like the athletes I currently coach. I don't think I ever really had a clear side of this is what I want to do. This is who I want to be. So you're right. Like I think life kind of set me up to come here accidentally, but maybe not right. Um, But it's certainly not a path I I thought of. You know, back then I didn't think I'm going to be a private coach. I'm going to be in coaching at all was not even my path. So. Like my sister, you know, grew up, got good grades, you know, pleaser, and then started playing sports. I think I was actually late to the sports game a little bit, CYC, kind of the recreational ball. And my dad, mom signed me up and I happened to be, I guess, a pretty decent natural athlete and then just started to play soccer, then softball, then basketball, played those when, oh gosh, I think it was in fourth grade. And so that's kind of late when select soccer, the, the, there's so many select, you know, competitive opportunities now, but there weren't back then. And it was kind of in its birth. So starting that, I think in fourth grade and I tease, uh, I was just coaching a, uh, High school soccer team yesterday. They're getting ready for tryouts, and I said, you know, I joked with them, and I said, you know, I feel like I was the overscheduled athlete before that was a thing.
1: <laughs> yes. So
0: I was a, you know, in high school, I was a three-sport athlete. So every season, I was in season. Then I had two select sports as well. So yeah, busy. We were all, and then Cynthia, of course, followed our path, and our our brothers did most much, much of the same. So busy parents, busy student, which was probably a really good thing. In a way, kept me out of trouble. That's for sure. Yeah, (laughs) that uh, Mm -hmm. thing that goes around. I see on Facebook. Facebook was like, you know, I can't go to that. I have practice. I can't (laughs) tell you the number of times I had to say that. (laughs) (laughs) Then you and I, of course, met at Lindenwood. You know, I ended up doing my, my thing. I think was really just like, what's something to achieve? Go get it, right? And so. I want straight A's, so go get straight A's. I'm going to play. Dad said I have to play that sport. (laughs) Sometimes he signed me up for an all boys team once when basketball didn't have enough competition. I was like, okay, I have to do that. I was not happy about it. Um, Then, you know, it was, you know, each season there was a sport. So I played a sport. And so then I went to college and I fortunately had a combined kind of education and. um, sports scholarship and, you know, played in the fall for, for varsity, uh, there, and then decided to double major because, you know, I, I, there was actually a girl, um, I think she was a year or two older than me, um, but was there. And I think by the time we had all gotten done, maybe had gotten three degrees. Um, and it was kind of this, the, the, The running not-so-nice joke at the time was that, you know, she's a professional student, right? Just Mm. And I actually wondered that about myself. I thought, you know, I've been so good for such a long time at being a really great student. And not because I'm super smart or anything, because I was just freaked out to fail, so I would study really hard. That I think I always wondered, like, what does that look like when, you know, school's all over, so what did I do? Like a good per, like a good student. I went on to get a master's degree. <laughs> <laughs> Just keep that going. <laughs> Just keep going. Keep going. Right. Um, so yeah, I went out to Denver for that for two years after Lindenwood, um, got my degree and then spent two more years out in Colorado because it's Colorado. Um, mm. and it's awesome. And then I think I, you know, I kind of came back to St. Louis and actually, uh, right before 2000. So I rung in the, in, and that part of our, you know, millennia, I guess, in in Saint back in St. Louis and was right back to square one again. It's like, okay, now I'm done with all the school. I didn't want to go get my PhD. I was I was schooled out by that time. And and there was nothing specific I wanted to go get it in. And so it was like, okay, I gotta be a big girl now. (laughs) And and like stop, like I'm not doing school, so it's time to do something. So I really kind of waffled back and forth between radio. I went back to uh, KMOX for a while, produced there, did project management, tried to do things in my degree field. And then, as I'm sure you know, I, I got married and had children and that changed everything. So my 30s were those years of, for me anyway, um, a complete, I did, I wasn't not want, wanting to do it. I just hadn't really realize the impact that that decade would have on my life. So yeah, kids.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, they change everything. <laughs> and they really
0: do. So it's funny when <laughs> I look back and, you know, as I told you, I, I tell long stories. I like to say that I'm an accidental coach. So I, <laughs> I never set out. Um, sports psychology was a degree at the time. It just wasn't something that I thought of much. And I didn't know what path there was there. So I went into industrial organizational psychology psychology in the workplace, I thought, well, that'll always have a job, right? And so it was actually when I was getting that degree out in Colorado, in Denver, that my former uh, Tim Champion was a coach at Lindenwood, and then he moved on to SLU, and now he's an AD over at Melville High School, but he gave me a call. He'd come out there and go skiing, and we'd go skiing every once in a while together um, as one of my former coaches, and he called me and said, hey, I think you should coach And I was, oh, gosh, 24. And I'm like, no. (laughs) He's like, no, there is a local girls select club in Littleton. And a couple of guys I know, you don't have to be the head coach, like you don't have to do any of the work, like just go there and and they need help at practice. And I was like, ah, he's like, hey, cease, it's going to be great for your resume. You should do this. Girls need to have girl coaches, which was interesting because I had only had one by that time in high school. Um, And then actually a second, actually one in high school, one in college. And so I was like, okay. So I went out and started working with this team and quickly fell in love with them. Of course, they were 11 year old girls. How can you not? And I got to see a bunch of little mini me's in a way. It was like, oh my gosh, this is kind of where I was and who I was. And so, just in Colorado alone, I started helping a couple of teams in Denver, and when I moved out to Grand Junction, started. To, <laughs> when you go and people realize that you've played, of course, right, and then they realized you've done some coaching, they reach out for help, and you can't say no. <laughs> so, <laughs> I coached, oh, I guess I think nine-year-old girls, thirteen-year-old boys. They were fun, and then I came back to St. Louis, and it was I kind of had a little bit. I helped my brother out; he had kids. And then it was when I had kids. So that's when I find a lot of people accidentally start coaching because your kids are playing. And then coaches are needed. And these aren't paid positions. They're starting in CYC or they're starting in maybe a select team. and then But you need coaches. And so here I was. I've spent probably a collective 20 years team coaching. And I had no idea that that would be a primary skill when I look back to where I was in high school.
1: Uh, tell me about your kids. Well, not me. Tell the listener about your kids. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> I know. <laughs> right. So, so in
0: 2006, I had my George and he is 15, uh, almost 16. He's a sophomore at Kirkwood High School. And by the way, he knows everything. So if anybody needs, you know, <laughs> just ask him because, you know, he's at that age. <laughs> and then Marin came along. She's 13 and followed by Liam, who is almost 11 fifth grader. And then we have our Harper who just turned six and she's in kindergarten. And, you know, this kind of, again, one of those things where I didn't grow up thinking I wouldn't have kids, but I also didn't grow up with that as a primary goal. So to look back now and be like, oh my gosh, and now I have four of them. Mm-hmm. No wonder
1: a whole decade's gone, <laughs> <laughs> right? No wonder you're you're just now getting yeah. to what you are meant to this do. Maybe right,
0: <laughs> exactly.
1: So before we get into what you've created, which is mine to define and what that's all about, well, actually, let's talk about that because I have so many different thoughts about sports and where we're going and the mental part. And I, it's just striking to me that this is finally happening at least around me in my area, which I know that even if you aren't in the St. Louis area, you're still able to contact you, Jen, but talk to me about Mind and Define, and then I will throw my thoughts in there after that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Cause I want to hear them. Um, so again, I feel like, gosh, maybe this was just what I was uh, accidental. I have to stress that like so much, like this wasn't a goal. So I kind of have a, like I sort of have a COVID story, which, which I mean a lot of people, right. Maybe started changing directions. And mine was that I knew a direction was coming and just had a whole lot of time to think about it. Cause we were all stuck home with, you know, kids learning and can't go out and do anything, of course, but I already knew ahead of time um, that the the year after COVID would be my last child's first year in kindergarten, right? So we're not going to go to daycare anymore. I've got them all in the same school district. And it was really one of those things where I have never not worked. I've always done like project work or I, we and George, we started a soccer club in 2015 small soccer club. So I kind of ran that for eight years. That was my job. But it was one of those things where it's like, okay, it's time to get back in. I don't want to go back traditionally. I've already done that. Um, been there, done that. And it was, I kept getting just feedback from my sister, from people around me, like, why don't you coach? And I was like, I was not going to be, I was kind of done with team coaching, like coaching teams. And you know, there are people a whole lot more qualified than me to take a soccer team to a you know another competitive level. So, it just wasn't a place I wanted to go. And it there was a player actually that uh, was a softball player. She is a softball player. And Marin, my my second born, was had played some select so- uh, softball with her, and I could always see that when this player went up to the plate, she could hit by the way a country mile, like she is a stud hitter. But it wouldn't transfer to the plate. And as I was standing there one game, and this is actually, by the way, a couple of years ago, several years ago, her mom was there and dad's the coach. Great job. Great coach. Great guy. But of course, you know, he it's hard to draw that line between being coach, dad, mom, and then watching your player at, you know, doing what they love to do and seeing their their struggle in the moment. And then sometimes not just struggle, but seeing their pain. And that's hard. And so I remember my friend like leaning over to her and saying, you know why she's going to strike out, right? Because she's like, she's going to strike out. And I was like, but you know, do you know why? And she said, no, what what are you talking about? And I said, look at the way she approaches the plate. Like she's already, if I could have put a microphone in her head right now, I would bet you it's all negative self-talk. It's all like, don't miss. It's all like, don't let my team down. It's probably overwhelm. So it's this overload of negativity, and then you almost kind of find it becomes what, you know, what does everybody say? A self-fulfilling prophecy. So like I said, that was several years back. So as I was thinking about um, this kind of coaching business that I hadn't even named yet, I reached out to the, my mom friend and said, hey, does, uh, is your daughter still having some issues with that? And she's like, yeah. And I said, well, can I, do you mind if I kind of take a chance with her and I will work with her and see if I can help her, just see if there's anything I can do. So I kind of built my program sort of with a player. I took a coaching course too, because I'm a good nerd <laughs> student and I like, mm-hmm. <laughs> if, you, if there's a course to take, I'll take it. <laughs> I'm, I'm a good girl. I, I, how do you do this? And so we started working together and, you know, she, all the players, all the athletes do the work. Um. But we we were able to make some movement. And then, oh gosh, August, just August of last year, I didn't even have my website done. It's still not done. But I had social up and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do what I typically have to do. And that's make an uncomfortable move. If I wait for, if I can always wait. I'm a perfectionist. So I can always wait for the the perfect moment. So I threw it out there. And in a week, I had five players. And I happened to do it at a good time. It was August. New seasons were starting. High school seasons were starting. We were back to a little bit of normalcy when it comes to athletics. And I was like, oh, gosh, this this might be as needed as I thought it was. And here I am.
1: I started having some flashbacks from what you were talking about with this girl. And I had played softball. Uh, same like deal. I didn't start until probably sixth grade, and and or maybe like sixth or seventh grade, and then played through high school. But it was a, yeah, like a um a CYC or something like that, you know. Um, and I remember my cousin who he is. We're close, and he was a stud baseball player and played through college. And his parents, which were they would always come and support us when we would play sports and stuff. And so I remember, I mean, I was in high school. I I can seriously, when you were talking about this girl, I distinctly remember this. I always played second base and they put me in the outfield and I totally had no clue. Like the ball was coming and I was way ahead of it. Like, Way I had no understanding. Like the I didn't get it. And I felt like a loser. Like the fact that I couldn't catch this ball that was hit. And was I the most amazing player ever? No. But I did love it and I did want to impress my family. I wanted to impress the people that came and saw me. And that was very defeating. Like I remember. Being so embarrassed that I like after the game, you can go get your team sodas. Like, I didn't even, say
0: yeah, we, we did team sodas. <laughs>
1: my, yeah, I would not say hi to my aunt or my uncle or my cousin. I wouldn't oh. even talk to my parents. Like, I was so embarrassed. And so that came to mind. And then I mentioned golf earlier cuz like I, it's just a joke for myself like like I like golf I don't play it I, well I mean it's just been a long time but I would always laugh because you're not supposed to talk I'm like just talk stop looking at me and just talk like I don't care if you're talking I don't want to focus on me just talk like I don't know how these people do it especially professionals
0: right right
1: golf players like they're in these tournaments and people are all watching you anyway Those were some of the thoughts that came to mind and um, I was a coach and definitely would have loved to, if that was the path I was going to take, I would, I should have taken some more courses and stuff. But I mean, when you do have that impact with your athlete, it's amazing. But there were so many times like mental blocks, especially coming with, you know, like tumbling and stuff. And I was like, I don't understand. You can do this. I don't know, eight out of 10 times or I no 10 out of 10 times. And so I was thinking also when you were talking about, did you, have you watched the documentary cheer on Netflix? I have not,
0: I have seen it up there, but I just haven't, I haven't, um, I haven't played it. No
1: spoiler alert. But in the second season, one of the, they could say that this girl falling out of her, Um, skill with stunting cost them their championship. And I thought about, like, honestly, as I was watching it, I thought, if you had the wrong individual in there who could do something very damaging to their life because they thought that they were solely responsible for a championship I like it. It made me so sad and sick to my stomach at the same time. So that's where I'm like wanting to talk about that mental thing and all of the pressures that come with playing a sport. And I I know you've seen it. It's it's enhanced over these years. Oh, it has. It hasn't gotten any easier. That's for sure.
0: You know, what has gotten better is the physical side of everything that we do in sports, right? So even just, I mean, you probably saw it also in cheer. You can probably put it in almost any sport, but I'll go ahead and bring it to soccer since that was my, you know, the one I kind of ended on. But softball is actually very much the same way too. Baseball is, you we know, go to soccer practice, you just go to practice because, couple of hours, because you're probably only practicing once, if you're serious, maybe twice, you know, right. a week back then. Right. It's like, oh my gosh, these, <laughs> now you're having three and four weeks, you know, three times, four times a week. But, you know, and depending, I'm not saying everybody did this, but, you know, back in where St. Louis was pretty decent at soccer at the time, and and I had good coaches, but we spent probably the majority of the time on the tactical portion, right? So, what kid doesn't raise their hand and say, are we scrimmaging? Right. They, that's what we all wanted to do. You want to play the game. You know, we want to pl- practice the game and play the game and then go play a real game. You know, we didn't want to spend time. We definitely didn't want to run. <laughs> we didn't want to do conditioning. Right. And then we, there was a time when the thing about like, you would learn a few ball skills, but not like it is today. So now, I might have a kid go into a practice where it's going to be 90 minutes of technical training. So the skilling, right? It's all the moves, the dribbling, the touching, the receiving. And then the next practice might be heavily focused on tactics, right? How we play the game. But that focus, those kinds of focuses that kids are getting now isn't something that I got until I was in college, You know, practices very much. We sure we took some shots. Sure, we did some passing, but the level of technical training I didn't get till I was 19 years old. And, you know, arguably a little too old for that in some ways because I was terrified of not knowing certain skills. And now I've got my six year old who's already learning. A move that I hadn't touched until I was 19. So we know that the physical side has changed a lot for the better, right? So that's why we're turning out better athletes. That's why, and they're more fit usually. Um, But what hasn't changed and what is slowly changing is the attention to the mental side. And I'm not even talking about, you mentioned Simone Biles and you're exactly right. There's nothing like having a high level athlete saying that this is important so that we know that, it's important for everything down there. And she got to a point and I can't speak for her, right? Where it's, it's mental pressure and you're looking at breakdown and breakdown could lead to a significant physical injury, like loss of a life in <laughs> the things that she does, if not your, you know, paralysis. And so if you're not all in, in your head, then you better not do that. But even just the smaller things about mental are important when you were talking about Jill, your moment in softball. Like I've got moments like that that I can think of too, where it's like the spotlight goes on you, and everything else is, you know, you do the just talk video talk, right? The rack focuses in on you, the background is blurred out, and all you feel in that moment is this incredible pressure. And we've got our kids doing that now all the time, yeah. and we haven't equipped them, or we rarely equip them. Even when I was team training and I had a psych degree uh, with how to handle those things, it's we're used to what we all grew up learning. Shake it off, right? Shake it off. Be tough. uh, Be confident. And it's all meant in a good way. But usually you'll get many players, not everybody, but if you're like me, they're in their head already going, yeah, that's great. How do I do that? Right? Mm -hmm. You showed me this Mm -hmm. physical skill how to do, but like, how do I get out of my own head? And can you really, the answer is probably no, (laughs) but like, how do I become in, come into flow, right? How do I access those, those points? And so it just, I don't know, something about sitting in an office and trying to like, I probably, I have scratch papers full of just notes that trying to think of like what to call it, what would I work on? And I realized looking back, I have been you in that softball story so many times and the times that I did do what I had dreamed of doing or I did fall into flow or I did access something, I did, I think one of two ways and it was always accidental. I either accidentally forgot to think because maybe I was taken by surprise. I didn't have time to be in my head. Um, Something just happened and I had to react. That's why I was a better third baseman than I was a shortstop. That extra hot got me every time. Not because I wasn't a good athlete, but because I had time to think. The other time that I was able to access, you know, what I would, my personal greatness was usually when I got mad. <laughs> so I had an overflow of an emotion that blocked out the worry. It blocked out, you know, and so I got angry and I was like, I'm, I'm done with this. And then something good happened. And so even through college, I can tell you, Jill, on that field at Lindenwood, Tim would, would often say like, if he, if I was there on the line, he knew the one thing I didn't want to do was take a player on one V one. I would much rather I was fast. I want to push the ball back behind and run. I don't want to take them on because taking them on meant they might take the ball from me. And then I lost the ball for my team. And so he'd be in my ear on the sideline. He didn't yell very much, but he'd yell at me and he'd say, go at that player one-on-one. And it was sometimes it took that direct command from him. And sometimes I still didn't do it
1: (laughs) because the fear of failure was so great. So how are we changing that? How are you changing that? Well, you know,
0: I'm not, I'm not the first. So, you know, like, like a, when I went ahead and I took a course on how to be a personal coach, right? Cause I didn't, didn't really know <laughs> and you know you do some market research and kind of see if if there's if this is out there and there are a few people out there doing that and then you could look at sports psychologists who are, are going to raise their hand and be like I've been doing this for years they just a lot of times they've been doing it at the professional levels right and we haven't seen it down at the lower levels when it comes to youth right even if they're shoot, even if they're youth and they're being tagged as MLS, um, one of the local clubs has like an MLS Next program. So even at age 10, that top team is being identified as, you know, really top soccer players right now. Maybe they'll move on, maybe they won't. So um, anyway, back to your to your question of what we're doing now is, there are a few people out there doing this. There's a lady in California that has something called... Um, alpha confidence. Uh, It's an online program. She kind of takes people, total elite competitor. I believe they're also on the West Coast. So I'm like, okay, I'm not the first, which is actually kind of good because this means that there's other people seeing a need for this. And on the, the men's side of sports too, there have been sports psychologists, there are mental trainers. I think the Arizona Diamondbacks have now a full staff for the mental side of the game. It's trickling down into college D1. Um, and it should be, it should, if if they're going to go there one day, who couldn't benefit from, you know, mental skills training because performance is performance is performance, right? It doesn't matter if you're up there getting rated against another cheer team and it's a competition. If you're one-on-one with somebody in a chess tournament final, if you're up on George, uh, my oldest sings, if you're up on stage performing, um, performance is performance is performance. So, and that's usually just like you talked about where we find athletes that that struggle, you know, when they struggle, it's not always usually at practice. It's usually in, you know, high pressure, what we call maximum performance moments, which are, which are games or, or performances. And so what we're what I'm looking to do is when I looked back on all the moments that I loved, and I didn't realize this until this last year or two, when I coached kids. Yes, I loved what, you know, teaching them how to cut the ball. Yes, I love teaching them how to appropriately strike the ball, right? There's a place on your foot where you do that correctly. There's a place on your foot and how you rotate your foot on how to pass the ball. But when I looked back, I realized that my favorite moments were always mental ones for for the kids I coached. So even if they did a move with their weak foot or they, that's a big one in soccer. When they're young, they only want to shoot with their strong foot, their dominant foot. They don't want to shoot with their weak foot because it usually is not a very good shot. And what I realized with one of my teams was if I don't make them do this, they're never going to want to do it because it's comfortable to run around the ball. And so I started, oh gosh, I think it was a bit Pavlovian, like the Pavlov's dog. Like they knew they were eight year, eight or nine years old. And I'd say, I told them, I said, I'm not punishing you, but there will be a direct consequence if I see you run, run around the ball. You're going to get subbed out. You'll go back in. You're not in trouble. But I had to make, sh- I had to take away that block that they had to not kick the ball correctly with the with the foot it was on. I had to remove that for them so that they could feel comfortable. And then I also, by the way, I had to celebrate the failure, right? So when my player, Katie, who probably would have scored with her right foot, but appropriately took the shot with her left foot and it didn't go in and I (laughs) I didn't, we didn't win the game. I had to be willing to recognize, celebrate that and call that a win, right? Call that a success. What I do with a lot of players is we look to... Have them really take charge of their performance, break down like defining moments, just like I talked about, and redefine sometimes what success looks like. And then, you know, for the girls I and the players I work with, we create strategies and we 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 try to apply them to both sports and you know life. We know that work often parallels our home lives, right? We sometimes we bring our work home and vice versa. Well, the kids do too. What what I often see is what happening on their teams might be happening at school and or vice versa. You know, drama in the hallways could be drama on at practice. And I
1: think that mental skills can be used anywhere for all of us at any age. Before we continue with this week's conversation, I would like to talk to you about Elemental Aesthetics, a sponsor of the podcast. And I love that they are now doing memberships because it's a really great thing for a couple of reasons. You're going to save money, and I am all about saving money, but it's also a reminder to take care of you. Self-care is so important. So let me tell you about some of the membership options that you have available from Elemental Aesthetics there are two membership options for you. The Elemental Essential, which is $99 a month, and then you have the Elemental Elite, which is $199 a month. Under both of these membership packages, there are certain services you can choose from and then certain add-ons that you get, such as you can go in the salt room or the infrared sauna a certain number of times a month, which Oh my gosh, that salt room, amazing. And then depending on the membership, you get a certain discount off of products and guaranteed pricing on certain products as well, like Botox. To learn more about these memberships and to start taking care of you and saving some money, head to elementalesthetics.com. Again, it's elementalesthetics.com. Check out those membership options and start to feel amazing. Let's get back into it with this week's conversation. I don't want to start a argument or th- that's not what this is about. I I do want to ask though, like your opinion on really, are we expecting too much of our kids when it comes to these sports or I mean Is it something that I just don't understand because like you said, the way we had grown up, it was once a week practices for like maybe an hour and it has evolved so much. And for example, when I was in high school and I was a cheerleader, it was clear. I mean, you tried out, it was either you made freshmen as a freshman JV as a sophomore and only juniors and seniors could make varsity. And so then when I came in to coach, this whole new level of competition was in front of my eyes where that's when um, all-star cheer was becoming a thing, club cheer was a thing. And so these athletes would come in and some of them were part of that. And it was like they had to choose. And I felt like, well, wait a minute. I always had the loyalty to my high school because that was the only thing that was there at that time. And you're going to risk that by going to a club sport. It's just this, I mean, there's no right answer. I understand that. There's benefits and there are definitely negative aspects to everything as well. I just am a little worried about what is happening?
0: Yeah. You know, I don't, there's, you're right. There's, there's really no good answer to that. Like in some ways I super love it. Right. And, and I, but, but then again, I can already tell you, my mom does not. Right. So my mom's in her eighties and she's like, this is, you know, she's got a different point of view and she thought I was overscheduled. Right. So she's like, you guys do too much. The kids do too much, but I will tell you, what i find is you know it, the way kids socialize anymore if, if they're athletic and and maybe it's with other interests as well right anything would they socialize more via organized something right an organized sport yeah. or an organized activity versus you know you go out in your neighborhood and you run around till the you know the light bulb on the porch flips and then you better get your butt home and don't get in trouble
1: <laughs> right? right so right.
0: those don't those are i think very few and far between anymore so Organized sports is just one of the many ways um, kids organize. I mean, my daughter—I will tell you—it like she sees soccer practice, and she's on a very high-level team—as just as much as a social experiment as she does the athletic experiment. Now, I'm also very fortunate; she's got a really awesome coach. The girls that are on the team all mesh together really nicely, both on and off the pitch. So that's also awesome. So it can depend, and then I think uh, the parent expectations on those groups. Hey, not that. Don't get me wrong. If it comes down between my daughter and her other player that I also really like, I'd like to see my daughter get more of the minutes. Right? That's that's just it. But at the same time, we're on a really great team. That actually happens. We 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 cheer everybody. It's very the culture is really good. So I think if you have that, that's really awesome. It's when you don't have that. That that sometimes is the issue, right? Where you have a player who's one of 11 on the field, but whose parents maybe, or grandparents sometimes, or whatever, maybe it's a coach, maybe it's just them themselves that focus only on individual achievement. You know, what is success? Well, I'm working with a D1 soccer player right now where she measures her success and kind of rightfully so, she's a forward, she's closest to the goal she likes to contribute to her team. And she contributes to her team by scoring goals.
1: (laughs) Right? Right, And that's an
0: important measure of success. But what I'm debating with her on right now is, is that your only measure of success? Because if it is, then how can you ever really have a great game if you don't score? And if you don't score, can you have a great game? And the answer is, yes, you can. Like We know that you can play poorly, yet do something awesome in the game, but overall, Liam's a great example. Okay. So Liam is a great example of the opposite mindset of what I work with. Okay. So George, my firstborn. So keep in mind, I work mostly with females, but this is male too. Um, I just tend to know females a little bit better, but my oldest, George, will play a good game, maybe even a great game, maybe even score a great goal, but he will fixate on the one thing that maybe one or two things that he really botched up right? He's that kind of player. And then I've got Liam, (laughs) who's 10, a little crazy. And here, the great example, a couple years ago, he had this game. um, He had, it was a bad game, Jill. It was not a good game. I mean, I would love to sit there and tell you, I love my kids and I will tell them all the time that they did great, but I know the sport. And I was like, that was terrible. (laughs) That was was like, (laughs) he played terrible. But and I knew his coach wasn't, he wasn't listening. He just, you know, it was just not a good game for him. And I don't know if they won or lost, but I do remember he ended up scoring a goal off a volley. So a corner kick comes across, he gets his body in the right. I mean, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. And I, he had recently seen Lionel Messi do it and he was really excited with himself. I'm just glad he didn't take his shirt off. Cause I was like, that's not allowed. You're only 10 <laughs> and he's, you know, he comes off the field. And I mean, I see his coach, by the way, has already talked to him a little bit because, His coach was not pleased and I don't blame him. (laughs) Liam came off the field and I was like, oh, that was a rough one, huh, buddy? And he's like, no, what? I had a great game. And I said, "Mm? what are you talking about? And he goes, did you see my goal?
1: (laughs) And it was in that moment
0: where I was like, oh, his brain is wired and how he processes is wired differently. So granted, he's a little delusional. He needs to come to the, you know, you have to be able to critique your play. But I'll tell you, <laughs> mentally, when it comes after performance, that is still what he focuses on. And mentally, he's in a better place. I don't have to worry about him so much as I do my 15-year-old who's like, have we let that game go? It's a week later, right? You, have you let that mistake go? Because by the way, you have another play coming up and that's usually what we work on. So, you know, I think it, and I know I did kind of a roundabout answer to that with you and I, cause I don't really know that there is one. Yeah, I worry. And I know as a former competitive athlete, I unnecessarily put some pressure on my kids, and probably, you know, as a coach, I had great moments, I think, and I had moments that I'm probably not proud of where I didn't say the right things. I didn't reinforce the right things because it's, by the way, we forget that anything competitive, I don't care what it is, is emotional. Anything that, that, and that's okay, it's good. Um, but we often sometimes forget then to tell, to help our athletes on how to process that emotion. I can't tell you the number of times I've shouldn't have said, you know, don't worry about it, you know, be confident, you're good, you know, get out, you know, wanting them or car rides home, right, when you've got an upset player who's not happy with their game, maybe even your little angel sheds a tear, and to help them not stop feeling that, but to like work through that, and then become resilient on the other side, right, that's the whole point, when you go up, and you miss a penalty kick, or whatever, a free throw in basketball, three and two and you're at the plate. Those are defining moments that you, like you just said with your softball, you'll never forget that. And what's important isn't so much the outcome. I mean, yeah, I would like to be successful every time, but it's just not gonna happen, is how we process. Uh, the the lady, her name is Shay Haddow, She's out in California. She She says, and I think rightly so, It's a growth mindset thing. Right. So rather than outcome or rather than success and failure, maybe you got the outcome you want or the wanted or the lesson you needed. And so if we can get people and I'm I'm there, too, because everybody I coach is a whole lot alike how I was in in the sport, you know, any sport, good moments or bad moments is, you know, very unforgiving to themselves. They never talk the way they speak to themselves to another player um, is to getting, and you see this mindset movement, by the way, everywhere. I see it on LinkedIn in the workplace. I see it on Facebook. I see it socially with friends, this growth mindset idea of, of, you know, what we do and how we process it, which why I ended up on the name mind to define, you know, Liam defined his game with a singular, successful moment, and it was a pretty moment i It was beautiful. It was a textbook volley that went into the goal i couldn't I couldn't have scripted it any better than that, but yet I've got you know also another kid who defines his whole performance negatively by a moment, and I think a lot of us do that. I know that I do you know i I may go back jill, and i will I will listen when this podcast comes out, and I know me. And I know that I'll, I'll hear a stutter. I'll be like, I forgot to say whatever. And I can either fixate on that and I can be negative about it and think about, let that hold me back. Or I can recognize all the good parts that hopefully were said and I can build on and do even a better job on the next one. And that's really, I hate saying my dad was right and he knows it and he loves it, but he was right when, it, when he said, you know, so many times we get into the car after a game and he loved to break it down and it drove me nuts. He wasn't a yeller, but he, you know, loved to break down. Like he wanted to know what I was thinking. He wanted to know why I did something. And I was tired of talking about it, but he would say all the time, you know, sports is so much like real life and he's right. And if these kids to your point, don't get anything but the skilling and drilling, we all eventually stop playing. Even even if I go play old lady soccer right now, right? And i'm forty eight, so I might be playing with people my age. But by the way, we were all competitive once, and we still feel competitive in the moment, even if our bodies don't want to do what we wanted to do <laughs> right. And even if we're and we pay for right, it. And even if we're really <laughs> sore the next day and can't get out of bed, you know, we're all that way. But the sport as you know it, my dear Marin, who's thirteen, my dear George, who's fifteen, all my kids, all of them, the sport as you know it will end for you one day. And if you got nothing from it, other than I was the best soccer player on
1: my team, then I think it's wasted. Well, yeah, because life is full of failures and I, none of us want that. And no, I I don't want that for my kids, but if I don't let them fail and experience that, then they are absolutely screwed when I'm gone. Like, It sucks. We do not want to see anyone fail. But I guess something that came to mind when you were talking about specifically with your dad is, and everybody is different, and maybe this is me being a a sensitive person, but I would never want to get into the car after a game where maybe I had, you know, let's just use the softball thing, like where my dad, you know, like where it was like, well, what what were you thinking? Why didn't you this or why didn't you that? Like if it's a positive conversation or a, you know, wanting to talk about it, then that, yes, I could see being very powerful.
0: And and even I think parents forget, I forget too in the moment. Don't get me wrong. Like I I, I tease and I'm like, God, I'm such a I do this and I talk with my players. And then sometimes when I'm in a parental moment, I'm a hypocrite, right? Because I fall right into that pretty easily. And I was a coach too. So I, I I, was a player. I was also official, right? And I was a coach, a parent. I ran a club. So I'm like, oh, gosh, I feel like I have most of the perspectives down. And when I'm siloed into one of them, I still sometimes I'm like, God, I could have, I could have done that, right, a whole lot better. And I've even owed a kid an apology or two because I hammered on one when they didn't want to talk or I maybe wasn't there to 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 process something a kid had fixated on and just wanted george to get over it right um mm. because we're uncomfortable with it we don't like to see it sometimes uh, what i find anyway is a parents <laughs> the best moments i think i've had as a parent now so just speaking in the parent moment is when i've remained neutral no matter if i you know my heart broke for my kid at the you know penalty kick line and she shot it wide i mean my heart hurts just as much as her heart hurts in a way, maybe even more, because I can also remember all the times I did it <laughs> yeah. and I know how bad that hurts and I'm upset for her. But sometimes the best moments I've had is when I don't, I let them lead to be fair, I, I, there's a line with players too that I find between, you know, they bully themselves or they BS themselves, right? So, and they have to figure that out. There are times when, and every kid's different. There are times that I've, I've heard from a friend that, you know, a kid came off and she's like, Yeah, she said the post game talk, you told them they sucked. And I was like, I never said those words at all, right? So, like, mm. they did not perform well, but I never said those words. That's what this player heard and took with her. And that's all her, and she has to grow and learn from that. So I think that one of the things as coaches and parents, and it's hard, especially also if you're a coach parent, that's even harder, Ugh. is sometimes remaining neutral as much as we can and letting them fight their way through it. That's what we want, right? That's what we, we want on the other side comes resilience not mental toughness per se, this tough word that was around. I'm not saying that you can be super competitive and still I'll give you a great example. Liam um, gets his butt kicked regularly by a wrestler who cries his way through every period. He cries, oh. he's a tremendous wrestler, but he is so emotional and I I'm not judging. That's not a judgment. He is just feeling all the feels And he will kick my kid's butt and he will cry the entire time. So here's my question. Is he successful or is he not? Back in the day, and I mean our days when we were young, you know, showing that kind of emotion wasn't necessarily a good thing. But maybe for him it is. Maybe processing it that way is his healthy way of coping and he still performs. <laughs> so sometimes with the players I work with and even the the parents, it's redefining what success looks like because there's lots of ways to do that. You know, if I got a player who walks up to bat like the player I and then doesn't swing the bat because she'd rather maybe get walked and not strike out, mm-hmm. we don't want that. We don't, you know, we don't want no. that. So but if she goes up the next time and she takes three swings, and maybe they're not all strikes. Is it completely successful? No. But is it a, is it a move in the, the right direction? Absolutely, yes. And then I would tell her that's a successful at-bat, right? It's getting, it's for her. And then what's the next step? And what's the next step? So again, this, this, this thing about outcomes, you know, that's how we measure wins and losses. And I get that. And sometimes I very rarely get pushback on mental training. I think most people get that it's needed, but I really try to call mine mental practice, right? They go to skills practice. They go to, you know, regular practice. We know that you have to condition, right? You have to run outside of your sport. If you're in a sport that requires that you have to lift weights outside your sport, if your sport requires that. So is mental training. You know, we need to practice failing, so that we know how to react when we fail in the, in the moment we don't want the failure. We prime the central nervous system to feel that so it's not so shocking. And by the way, the very next step is recovery, right? So the three pillars of my program are optimum ownership. So we talk about what you can own and what you don't own especially in a team sport. I'm sure you probably saw that in cheer, right? Bases yeah. own a certain thing, flyers. And I don't know if I have all the right vernacular, but they can't own everything, right? They cannot. And many times I find the, the people that I work with are just like me. They'll own the whole, I lost the game for my team. Nope, mm. nope. You're one, of, you're one of five out there or one of seven or one of 11. You're, you, you have a percentage you get to own, but not everything. Even if it was the last shot, which we tend to remember more because that's called the recency effect and it doesn't matter. You didn't, there were umpteen other times your team had a chance to, to score and they didn't. Right. But that, that player will often go and own it. And then guess what it does. It just hurts their future performance. So ownership's one growth mindset. That's a big one. And I'm glad it's here to stay. It came from education. And you know, it's really about taking those moments that are, you know, things to learn from and that we can improve pretty much anything. And the last one is that courageous confidence, where where it's being confident yourself when you don't know what the outcome's going to be. Right, I, I'm really confident when I know it's going to go my way, but when I don't know it's going to go my way, that's when it comes to kind of brass tacks. That's where the rubber meets the road, right? And those are the moments that we sometimes we struggle with in the the mental thing. You'll see players, athletes actually protect themselves by shrinking back. I did it, right? I I don't take that one shot that's a little crazy because the miss will hurt a whole lot more than it going in. If we're going to put our kids and have them be this competitive, I love it. I I really do. Let's be sure they get something out of it that become better people, right? Better versions of
1: themselves for whenever it's done. 100%. And that mental practice, it should be well it should end up being a requirement and i think that while we are still figuring all that out maybe it is definitely too too soon to say it should be on the on the youth inside too but i don't think it should be far off i think every single age no matter what level you are in should learn that aspect as well that is just as important Yeah.
0: And there's a lot of people too that'll say, you know, not, and I'm I'm not bagging on any coaches here because I was a team coach as well. (laughs) Jill, I was a team coach and I had a psych degree and I did not insert mental training the way. Now I would go back and do it differently. Right. I would insert some of that as just part of what we do. Right. We would celebrate taking, walking up and taking PKs. We wouldn't just penalty kicks, by the way, sorry for anybody's not soccer. Um, (laughs) But we wouldn't just take them as a station as practice we would take them like you take it in the game where you're there all by yourself right if you're going to do kicks from the mark at the end because nobody can score and you just have to shoot right it's a different to walk up there from half line by yourself to the mark face off with the goalie also the goalie themselves while an officials there another officials on the line fans are watching it may or may not be quiet there's so many more variables that come with what we call maximum performance, which is what games are, versus typical performance, which is what you would call practice, right? And so I chuckle a lot about the mindset part of so many things. So that's one of them, right? So we we don't practice it the way we do it in the game, and then we set them up there and we wonder why they either fail or... They're so jittery, they can hardly hold their hands still. There's part of that's just performance, but part of that's because we didn't practice that, number one. And then number two, uh, I used this example in another uh, talk one time, and I think it's funny. The mental side, they'll say, you know, any sport will be like, it's 90% of the game, it's 80% of the game, it's whatever. And I can argue, actually, it's 100% of the game. Like, everything we do is initiated mentally. even. The passing now, if I go out and I take a soccer ball and I pass with my daughter, I've already automated all those because I've been practicing those skills since I was little and I don't have to think about it anymore. But it's my mind doing it. We know if that mind part of that mind's damaged, that, that part of the body might not work. But so I could argue that it's 100% mental. <laughs> I mean, the physical training is important, don't get me wrong, but there's so much more to the mental piece. Um, when I was back in grad school and I was helping that team in Littleton. I had a girl. She was arguably the best player on the team. She was the only one holding herself back, right? And she was driving me crazy. And by the way, I was 24 years old that time, and I didn't really have a filter. And I was getting on her. And I said, you know, I don't remember her name, but I was like, anticipate is what I kept telling her. Anticipate. And after the game, she pulled me aside and said, I don't know what anticipate means. And so I tried to explain the definition. I was like, it's to like, you know, make an educated guess about when they're going to pass and you step between. And she looked at me like I had two heads. And so I had to go home back to my apartment and I'm like, how am I going to teach someone how to do what I've just been yelled at for 20 years to do? And I figured it out. That's mental. It's a mental choice. Mm. We get three-year-olds. I don't know if, you're, 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 you know if your little ones have played soccer, but you put do little 3B3 soccer, right? And you get the littles out there, and they're so cute, right? Some of them are we think are going to be future Olympians because they go out there and they happen to be really aggressive, and that's pretty important when you're in a youth sport. Of course, the aggression usually wins out some of those natural things, but I find it so cute. When you, we've spent three years of their life, remember, by the way, telling them don't hit, don't push, mm. share, don't take. Yeah. You know, all these things to norm them socially, right? So we can be good social creatures and then we stick them on a soccer field and we're like go get the ball <laughs> <laughs> some of them, like like Marin, like Marin went out there like we had no opinions of what Marin was going to do she went out there like oh my gosh heck yeah and she went crazy like she went out there taking the ball she was shoving people it was like she was letting to be she needed to be let out of the cage but it's not surprising that most of the kids look at you like are you crazy like You want me to go push her? Well, kind of, but not really. (laughs) You know, a soccer push. (laughs) So it's it's always, um, it's always a mental it's always a mental thing. You know, they're processing that and trying to come to terms. And some do right away. Some take a little time. Um, my son George was one who he stayed outside of the uh, you know, that little the huddle they do, the what do you call it? You know, clump ball, clumpy soccer. They play in a, you know,
1: oh, a mass. Okay. I, yeah. Uh, the,
0: the, it's almost like a scrum for rugby, right? They're, they're, they're in this little mass and they're just following the ball around. Well, Georgie did not do that. He stayed on the outside. He was like, um, why would I get in there? <laughs> I'll wait for the ball to pop out. And then maybe just maybe if I'm not doing a superhero move, cause I'm five years old, I might go get the ball. And it was just seeing that difference among the kids. I just, you know, to go back to your earlier question, I can see why a lot of people like like my mom, um, like others who are like, whoa, this is crazy. And I think sometimes it can be, but I think also a lot of really good stuff can come out if we focus on the lessons, right? And, and keep in mind that these human beings are in development and you can still right you can still be pretty badass about winning right you can be hardcore all the time and yet celebrate failure you can still push to be number 1 and yet look at not only the score or the outcome as the the definer of was that a successful exhibition for you and or your team?
1: They don't have to be mutually exclusive. I am so glad you said that. Like That really kind of just gave me goosebumps and I need more people to hear that and understand that. So Jin, how do people get a hold of you to learn more about you, learn more about mind to Define, and just spread the word? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for the opportunity. So I do have a website that's
0: in development, but I have a contact page. So it's www.mindtodefine.com, like mine, you know, like a little kid says mine, mine, mind mindtodefine.com. Yeah. And I am on social. I've got Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And oh, LinkedIn. And it's um, I think it's at Coach Jen MTD. But mind to define will also will pull it up. Um, and I've tried to, to post a bit more there and, and, you know, thoughts. And there's actually a really great one that came up today that I had shared a few years ago personally. And I'm like, that's a really good share for
1: mindset uh, for any anything we do. And I will make sure all of this is also accessible on the show notes page at com. I am so glad I got to talk to you about this. I mean, I'm so glad I got to talk to you because you're my friend.
0: But here. <laughs> this
1: is so important and we need to make sure that we are doing what we can to get these athletes to know that the mental is just as important as the physical, if not more important. Right. Exactly. Well, thank you for your time, Jen. And you will have to come back and give us a little update in like a year or so and how you're ruling the world with your mental vibes.
0: Thank you. I'd love to.
1: All right, as we wrap up this week's conversation, I want to just remind you about Elemental Aesthetics and the membership options they have for you, and also talk a little bit about those add ons that I mentioned earlier, such as the sauna, the infrared sauna, and the benefits of using that. Similar to those with the traditional sauna, but they include better sleep, relaxation. reduced blood pressure, weight loss, clear and tighter skin, improved circulation, and so much more. And then there's the salt room. This is such an amazing therapy. I just, I love it. It helps with asthma, allergies, acne, eczema. Oh my gosh, the winter time for me is awful with my eczema. I can go and sit in the salt room at Elemental Aesthetics and, hmm, It's just a game changer. So check out those new services and the membership options at ElementalAesthetics.com. And before you go... Uh, Just a quick reminder that I would love if you would subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. You are helping to get in the hands of others when you do that because the more uh, subscribers and the more ratings and the more reviews, I don't know how it all works. I just know that it works. So thank you in advance. And you can also follow along on social media and at jilldevine.com. Thank you for your support of Two Kids and a Career.